Has anybody in here ever had surgery? You ever had surgery? Some of you. Well, if you were going in to the doctor to have surgery, and the entire time you're talking with the doctor, they were binging a show on Netflix during your meeting. And then you hear through the grapevine, that's actually how they did surgery. They would operate, but then have a nurse hold up an iPad with Netflix, and they were binging Netflix the whole time. Uh, I mean, you know, not The Office anymore, because that's not on Netflix anymore, sad news. But they were bitten, and that, that was their, that's the way they, they, they did it. They would operate, but they would have Netflix right there, and they're binging the whole time. Would you want that surgeon operating on you? Probably not, you know? I mean, maybe they're, you know, especially gifted in that way or whatever, but if it's me and I've got a guy and all he does is binge, and, you know, when he's supposed to be focused on the thing he's focused on, I'm not going to pick that guy. I'm not going to let that guy be the one who does it. He's too distracted. He's not fully committed to the task at hand, not fully committed to his calling. But many of us do that, honest, if we were truly honest and transparent, as we rarely are if you're, you know, being honest, uh, with other things in our lives. You know, it, it's easy to slip in the habit of something that's less than committed, uh, you know, when our lives don't depend on it kind of a deal. Some of us do that with our families. We're not fully committed to being in the room with our families, and so we scroll social media instead of be with the kid or instead of engage in conversation. Or, honestly, we do it a lot of times with our spiritual lives. Instead of prayer time or, or spending time in the Word, we allow other things to eat away at that time, to eat away what should be dedicated to the Lord. We're not fully committed to following after Him because we allow ourselves to be distracted by a variety of other things. Where, in truth, if we were that way with our job, we would not have a job <laughs> anymore. But we allow ourselves to go there when it comes to spiritual things. You know, there was a guy, I may have mentioned this quote sometime past, but never the story before, uh, a man named uh, D.L. Moody, uh, who knew that there was a vast difference between a normal life and a life of going all in for Christ. And he was over in England, and he met this guy named Henry Varley. Now, Henry Varley was a butcher in London, and uh, he was a preacher on the side. Uh, he was a butcher and a preacher, kind of like Paul was a tent maker and a preacher. Uh, Henry Varley was that, and he became fast friends with D.L. Moody, and they uh, went one night to this prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting didn't last you know, five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. Have you ever been to like a church service that just seems like it never ends? Surely not one of ours. But it's not that funny. <laughs> it is. Um, but they went to this prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting ended up going all night long. And uh, the morning comes, and D.L. Moody and Henry Varley, they leave the next morning. And as they're leaving, Henry Varley makes this comment to Moody. Uh, Moody would go on to become a great evangelist, uh, you know, and phenomenal preacher and see hundreds of thousands of people saved. But at this point, he was just uh, a traveling preacher. And Henry Varley made this comment to Moody. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a person who is all in for him. And Moody heard that, and it kind of sunk in, but he didn't really engage in conversation after the quote, after the man said that. But it stuck in him, and he could not get rid of it. It kept him up at night for months and years, and years later, this, this thing that Henry Varley had said to Moody was so cemented on his heart 
that he wrote down in his journal those words. As the world has yet to see what God will do with a person who is all in for him. And Moody wrote next to it, by the Holy Spirit in me, I will be that person. He knew first, I mean, in that quote, by the Holy Spirit in me, I will be that person, that he could not do it on his own, that it needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. He needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. And so what we're going to begin to look at today on the first Sunday of the new year is what does it mean to be all in as a Christian? What does it mean to be an all in Christian, to, to have that a part of who we are? You see, an all in Christian is committed to accomplish the thing that God has designed to be accomplished. And so we're going to examine that in an overview kind of way today, setting the foundation. So over the next few weeks, as we take a deep dive into this uh, and, and looking at what is possible when we go in with Jesus, um, we're going to not only see what is possible, you know, back in Scripture times in the first century, in the book of Acts, we're going to see what is possible in our lives today in 2021. What can be possible when we go all in for Jesus? But let's look first uh, in Acts chapter 2, what, it's going to, what it looked like for the Christians then when they went all in for Jesus. And we're going to see uh, how that can translate to us today. Acts chapter 2, all the scripture, to, we're going to have a lot of scripture today. Um, it's something like 15 passages or something like that. Uh, you can flip through if you're Bible drill. I, you know, it would be I would be very impressed if if you can hit all these. Some of them we're gonna hit pretty quick, uh, but all the scripture will be on your screens, or if you're watching online, it'll be right below me in the little text box there. In Acts chapter two, um, what's been happening is you know Jesus came into the world, he lived, he started his ministry at about 30 years old, and he went around and uh, was ministering and healing people and teaching people, uh, and a couple of years later. You know, he was arrested, and he was crucified, he was killed, and then he rose from the dead. And then he spent about 40 days with his disciples, and he was teaching them a few things, and then Jesus left. And the disciples were told, if you go back and wait, a helper's going to come. Jesus had told them, a helper's going to come, it's going to be the Holy Spirit, he's going to come, and he's going to help you. I'm not going to be there physically, but this helper, the Holy Spirit, will be there to guide you. So they go back to Jerusalem. And they wait for 10 days. Now, it's interesting to note as well, as happens many times in Scripture, Jesus did not give them a specific time frame. He just said, go back and wait, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. So they went back and waited. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit comes and comes on them with a fury. And they all begin to speak in different languages. And so their first thought in, in this new ability, being able to speak in different languages, was we need to tell as many people as possible in these new languages about Jesus. So they run out into the street, and they start telling everybody they can find about Jesus. And then Peter kind of becomes the de facto leader of the disciples, stands up, and he gives this sermon uh, in Acts chapter 2, that's what the majority of the chapter is, him giving this sermon. And thousands of people get saved. And so instantly they got this massive church, thousands of people. And we don't know how the church was structured. We don't know how it functioned. We don't know any of that. And I think there's a purpose that we don't know that because we might begin to worship the structure and, and you know, the, the ins and outs of it more than the reason for it, Jesus and uh, But what we do have in Acts chapter 2 is kind of a general look at how they functioned. At the very end of the chapter, Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 42, you've got all of these new Christians, including the disciples themselves who are new Christians. And this is what it says, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. 
And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, that's interesting. You know, you think our culture today is politically divided. Uh, We know nothing compared to Roman times because it was extremely severe. Uh, And the disciples had people in their midst who worked for the Roman government and people in their midst who were working to overthrow the Roman government. But for the purpose of Jesus, they set all of that aside because Jesus mattered more. And so they were together, and they had all things in common because Jesus is the only thing that mattered to them. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now look at that verse real quick, verse 46, before we finish it out in 47. It says, this is what they did every day. They attended the temple together, and they broke bread in their homes. Now, just the best we can figure what they would do is there was this big section of the Jewish temple called Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch. It was probably the largest gathering place in Jerusalem at the time. And so what the Christians would do is they would go to the Jewish temple, and they would gather in this big Solomon's porch area, Solomon's portico, and they would have a large group gathering there. They're like we're having right now. They would have large group church there. And they would also have small group. You see there, they would break bread in their homes. So they would have their large group time like we're having now, and they would have their small group time like we're going to have in a minute uh, when the service is over. And they would do both. And this was essential to the beginning of their spiritual growth. Look at verse 47. They were praising God and having and uh, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we look at this, and we can see these people and, and their dedication, their devotion, back up in verse 42. They devoted themselves actually to four things, if you look there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is devotion to Scripture. The apostles' teaching was Scripture. I mean, all of the New Testament here uh, is apostles' teaching. And so they devoted themselves to scripture and they did it daily and they did it together they also devoted themselves what does it say to fellowship that's life together you know i know we're baptists and usually baptist fellowship means food but a fellowship really just means doing life together experiencing life together and so they would they would do life together that means on a daily basis they had daily communication daily touches you know, I'd imagine if they had social media, it would be daily social media, you know, messages or text messages. It would be daily engagement with one another because of their singular purpose of the message of Jesus. So they had devotion to Scripture. They did life together. It says they broke bread together. As we saw a minute ago down in verse 46, they did it in their homes. Now, this means probably two things. That means having meals together and having communion together. That means the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice. So they would spend time together in this way. And then finally, there they devoted themselves to prayer, daily prayer. And prayer together, all four of the things here, Scripture, life together, breaking bread, and prayer, this is all together, all together, not just by yourself type of stuff. This is together type of stuff, devoting themselves to these things together. But there's also one thing in that passage that, is also there for emphasis in verse 46 and verse 47, is that it was daily, it was day to day. Day by day, they were attending the temple together. They were in their homes together day by day. Verse 47, people were being saved. People were being saved because they were doing the day by day stuff together. And the Lord was working 
through them. And so we see these people here, this demonstration in Acts 2, 42 to 47. And, and it's easy to look at them and say, well, obviously, they're all in for Jesus. I mean, this is life and death for them. You know, uh, great persecution is going to drop in a couple of chapters in, in the book of Acts. And, you know, it's going to be, do you believe in Jesus? Well, then we're going to throw you in jail. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, then we're going to kill you. But they were all in for Jesus in these ways. What does it look like, though, for us today to strive towards that same thing, to, as a church, to strive going forward towards this, which we are as a church beginning today. This is going to be our goal and our aim is striving towards this. But what does that look like towards this full spiritual maturity? Well, Paul describes it in, Acts chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul calls it the full spiritual maturity of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Paul writes, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, first, I want to stop right there. Those are spiritual gifts that he lists. And the spiritual gifts that he lists there are, are typically spiritual gifts that are in church leadership. Apostles, someone who has been sent with a message. Prophets, someone who reveals something that was revealed to them of the Lord. Evangelists, people who go out and tell big swaths of people about Jesus. Shepherds. Shepherds are people who guide other people to, I mean, like Psalm 23, you, you lead them to the water, you lead them to fields where they can eat. But the thing about leading, you know, sheep to the water and to the, to the grass they can eat, you can't make them eat and you can't make them drink. But it's the shepherd's responsibility to show them where the food and water is. And so he says, in shepherds and teachers teaching the Scripture. So you have all of these people in the church to guide the church, to lead the church, to direct the church according to Scripture. For what purpose? Just for scriptural knowledge? No. Verse 12. To equip the saints, saints, that means Christians, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the purpose of the organizational church is to equip the Christians to minister to each other and to other people. Verse 13, to what end? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here it is. To mature manhood, till you're fully grown, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. <laughs> I know that's a lot of really big work. Paul was a very smart person. But he's saying the purpose of organizational church is to grow each other spiritually until you are as spiritually mature as Jesus. Anybody there yet? Okay, good, because I'd have to call you a liar, and I didn't want to do that in front of everybody. <laughs> that is a bit, that's huge, right? The full spiritual maturity of Jesus is what he's saying. We're supposed to be growing as Christians until we attain the full spiritual maturity of Jesus. That is a big deal. And again, I don't know about you. Well, I know about some of you. I've got a long way to go until I get there. A long way to go until I get there. And I know some of you have got a long way to go until you get I'm, Thank you for not amening when I said I've got a long way to go. That makes me love you even more. But uh, uh, you've got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. The full spiritual maturity of Jesus because, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, what we should be doing, if we are fully mature believers, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, speaking the truth in love, sometimes people use that phrase as an excuse to say something offensive to somebody else. I'm just going to speak truth. I'm going to do it lovingly, so I'm not going to, like, scream it at you, but I'm just going to speak truth. But in Paul's phrasing in Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth in love is speaking the gospel, is what he's saying. The truth of the gospel is what Paul's saying. To speak the truth of the gospel in love so that we can all grow up together in him in every way. For him, verse 16, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped. When every part is working properly, that's us, we are the parts. When every part is working properly, that makes the body grow, the church grow, so that it builds itself up in selfishness, in pride, in personal preferences, in whatever I want. No, what does it say? In love. And what is love? Love is selfless. Love is kind. Love is patient. And what is probably the, the hardest phrase of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Are you good at that one? I'm not very good at that one. We tend to keep a list in the back of our mind when somebody wrongs us. I'm going to write it down. Like we got a little book. So you can write that down. I'm going to save that for later. I'll come back and get you at some point. Love keeps no record of wrongs. But we are to build each other up, build up the church in love. When we're working properly. See, God gifted the church to help Christians reach that full spiritual maturity level of Jesus. Which is why... The church exists to build each other up so that we can tell more people about Jesus. If we're not building each other up, the world's just watching us fight each other. And watching us fight each other, they're not going to listen to us. I remember there's a great scene. I think about it often uh, from one of my favorite musicals. I, I grew up in a musical family. My mom played piano, taught piano lessons. My dad's a music minister. And we would watch musicals all the time. Uh, but one of them was a musical, 1776. Anybody seen it? I love that musical. Language isn't that great, but the music is phenomenal. But there's, it, 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 it's about the writing of the Declaration of Independence. And there's this one great scene in there where there's a, the most senior member of the, de, uh, second, one of the most senior members of the Declaration who has cancer, and, but he would still come and serve because uh, of the Congress because he believed this thing was so important that they needed to write the Declaration of Independence. And so he was in the room, but there were other guys in the room who saw writing the Declaration of Independence as, you know, something that was terrible, something that was anti-God. And so they were arguing against it. And they viewed the man who was spearheading the, the movement to write the Declaration of Independence, which was John Adams, they viewed him as the devil. And there's this big argument in the Congress. As I, it doesn't happen anymore, but back then they did. They argued all the time in Congress. But uh, this guy stood up, and he's pointing at John Adams, and he says, the enemy is right there. He's in this room. And that other man... His name was Caesar Rodney, the, 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 the older gentleman with cancer. And he stood up, and he's got this thing. It's, it's like cancer in his mouth with this thing on his head. He says, no, the enemy's not in here. And that guy yells, screams back at him because he's so angry. No, the enemy's right there. I can see him. And he says, no, the enemy's out there. If we're too busy fighting in here, we're not going to fight the enemy out there. He ended up changing that guy's mind. That guy ended up not voting for the declaration. 
But he left to go serve in the Continental Army and fight the British. And it began with that conversation, that argument. The enemy church is out there. And he's trying to destroy what's in here. And he will use any means necessary to do it. Any means necessary. The enemy that we fight does not have rules. He's underhanded. He's strategic. And he will do everything possible to undermine the work of God. And so we're going to walk through some areas here of what it means to be all in. And I guarantee you, if you try to walk this path and be all in for Jesus, he's coming for you. He's coming for you because it puts a target on you. If the enemy's not coming for you, then he didn't see you as a threat. And if, if you try to do, I guarantee you, man, this morning at my house, I was snippy. And I didn't even realize it. Katie had to say, what's going on? So I didn't even realize the pressure that was bubbling up inside of me was coming out in that way. I didn't even realize it. And the enemy's going to do things. And and anticipating this message, I knew he was coming in some way. And so I was looking at all the regular ways the enemy normally comes. But it was a way I did not see coming. And it took my wife to call me on it and say, no, the enemy's getting you in a way you weren't ready for. And so I'm just preparing you. You need to get ready. Whether you're going to do this fast with us we're talking about, you're going to see on day three, day four, that rice cakes are going to start to look really, really good. Oh, there's a rice. So rice is probably okay with the Daniel fast. Well, you're good there. But steak is going to see. Every commercial is going to be Texas Roadhouse. No joke. Or if you're on my social media feed, everything's going to be pizza all the time. And it, I mean, even this morning, making the kids waffles. I started my Daniel fast this morning when I got up. I wanted to eat those waffles so bad. And it was only, you know, the first meal of a 21-day Daniel fast. And uh, uh, the enemy's coming for you guys. He is. You got to be ready. You got to be there. And so for us as a church, if we are going to go all in for Jesus, all in for Jesus, what does that look like? Well, we want everybody to be all in. That means every person in a group. That means every person serving. That means every person giving. That means every person praying and every person telling. Every person. Every person. Every person. Not some, not here, there, yonder. That's, what, that, that's the goal. Is we want every person in this way. And we're going to explain it to you here from Scripture. What does it mean to be all in? That means not partially. That means not halfway. It means all in to the purpose and mission of Jesus. And it begins foundationally in the step one in being all in for Jesus is you have to believe in Jesus. You have to be a believer. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It begins with salvation. Believing in Jesus is where it starts. Believe in Jesus, that he is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven. He rose from the dead so you can live after you die and you can begin this process. You can begin to walk this path of what it looks like. Having his strength, having his peace, having his spirit guide you in that process. Be a believer. And right along with that is to be baptized. Being baptized does not save you. But being baptized declares to the world that you belong to Jesus. Baptism is a representation of what goes on within you. 
You go under the water, that represents dying to the old way of life, dying to sin. You come out of the water, that represents getting a new life in Jesus. And you declare to the world, I now belong to Jesus. There's many cultures in the world where it's illegal to be a Christian, but they won't believe you're a Christian until you're baptized. Because that's like you're signing the papers with your name. That is your commitment level. That is your public profession of faith, being baptized, showing the world. And that's why in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus described what it means to make disciples. Is that you, The first thing you do is you baptize them. That's a stand-in. That means they believe in Jesus and they get baptized. They declare to the world they belong to him. So you believe, you're baptized. If you've never been baptized, I want you to come and see me as soon as we're done. And we can baptize you. We can do it today. It'll be really cold because we didn't warm up the baptistry. But we can do it today if you want. But if you want to be baptized, you've never been baptized, or you need, you have been baptized, but you've made some decisions along the way, and you need to declare to the world that you are a believer, we can do that as well. Nothing in Scripture says you can't be baptized more than once. Sometimes we need to declare things more than once. And you can do that. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized. Number three, to being all in. Be in a small group. As we just read in Acts chapter 2, uh, both in verse 42 there that I've got on the slide, I think, yeah, verse 42 and verse 46 that we saw as well. Those early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And then back down in verse 46, where did they break the bread? Where did they have their meals together? In their homes, in a small group setting, in a small group setting. Small groups are essential to the development of your spiritual lives. A study came out a few years ago. Uh, from Lifeway, which is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, that said uh, 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 a Bible-believing Christian who is a part of a small group is 80% more likely to grow spiritually than someone who just comes to the service. Now, I would like to see actually the stat now, what, it's, what it, the difference would be, uh, the growth the difference would be someone who's in a small group uh, versus someone who just watches online. Uh, not that watching online is any... Less, it can be. It depends on your focus. It depends on your spirit. It depends on your heart, as most things do. Uh, but most churches didn't stream when that study was taken some years ago. And today in America, more uh, uh, Christians stream church than attend church or by far than go to small group. But if you want to grow spiritually, small group is essential because they encourage you, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, they encourage you daily. They help you grow daily. They uh, hold you accountable daily. And, and it, it's an essential part of spiritual growth. That's why I listed it number three. Small group. So you're a believer, you're baptized, you're in a small group. Now again, as we walk through these ten areas, I'm not saying these are the only 10 areas of what it means to be all in for a believer. These are just 10 areas that I've recognized from Scripture to be all in for Jesus. And we've seen a believer baptized in a small group. Here's another one. Spending time with the Lord daily. Spending time with the Lord daily. I've got a couple of Scriptures for this one. First, uh, Joshua chapter 1. Uh, God speaking. Be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all that the law, uh, the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, which up to that point was all the scripture they had. He says, do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
Notice he said that several times there. Prosperity, success. Now, the prosperity and success may not look like how we in America interpret that, but it's God-designed prosperity and success are tied to Scripture, meditating on it day and night. That means you're thinking about it. And notice also he said it's in your mouth. You're speaking it. You're speaking it. Not just reading it, you know, one verse in the morning, but it's in your head and it's in your mouth. And if Scripture's in your mouth throughout the day, other things can't be in your mouth that don't need to be in your mouth throughout the day. So Scripture, spending time with the Lord, but not just Scripture. We also need to be praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Even Jesus, who was God, would, as it says there in Luke chapter 5, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus set the example, just like in the last one, in number three, Jesus had a small group. He was a part of a small group, his disciples. Well, here also, Jesus set the example. He would pray. He would withdraw regularly, and he would pray. So scripture and prayer are essential parts. But what is fundamental also in prayer that many of us don't often do is listening. Because prayer is a conversation, not a monologue. And what takes place in a conversation more than one person talks. And so if we're praying and having a conversation with the Lord, that means we need to be listening to what he's saying as well. Some, more often than not, we need to listen to what he says before we open our mouth and talk. Because we, once we open our mouth and we start talking, that kind of takes over the conversation. So listening to the Lord, listening to him, scripture, prayer, spending time with him daily. Here's another one. Number five, church service attendance. Even though for some that looks vastly different today because of health issues and watching online, but this is essential. Right from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the meat of it's right there in 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. As is the habit of some. That is a habit that not just first century have developed, but in our current century, many have developed as well. Neglecting to meet together. And in the context of Hebrews chapter 10, that's large group setting, is what he's talking about there. Large group, that's this. Neglecting to meet together. He says, oh, being a part of this body in this way. We've already seen small groups are essential. Now, large group is essential according to Scripture. According to our, uh, or they are essential to our spiritual growth, our development and following after Jesus, obeying Jesus, being a part of the church in this way, celebrating together, worshiping together. But not just that. Here comes one that's difficult for many in, in the form that it takes in full faith. Number six, giving financially. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know, there's more scripture about financial stewardship than there is about evangelism. Does that mean that evangelism is less important than financial stewardship? No. But God knew that we would have a harder time with financial stewardship than with accepting the obedience of evangelism. And so you see that, and Paul's writing, and he spends several chapters in 2 Corinthians talking about this, in, that giving is important. But giving is important. Financial giving is 
important. Unqualified financial giving. And we talk about Old Testament law, Old Testament scripture, uh, uh, both from the books of the law as well as um, Malachi chapter 3. You give a tithe, you give 10%. But Romans tells us that Jesus came and did away with the law. And so does that mean Jesus did away with the law of the 10% giving? Well, according to Paul, yes. But does that mean we can give less than 10% and be perfectly fine? No, what that verse, that, that uh, uh, Pat, I think it's, it's Romans 8, 9, and 10. What Paul is saying in Romans when he says that, that not that we should lower our expectancy of our faith, but as our faith grows, so should our giving grow. If we are full faith in Jesus, 10% is not enough. If we're giving the same amount this year that we gave five years ago, percentage-wise, is our faith the same as it was five years ago? Or are we growing in faith? That's a hard one, y'all. That was a hard realization I had to come to a few years ago. That if we are growing in faith, so should our giving be growing. And Paul gives the illustration in 2 Corinthians that he was writing to Corinth, which was a very wealthy church, a very wealthy church, And he said that while he was there in town ministering to them for a year and a half, it was a very poor church that funded his entire ministry for a year and a half. A poor church. To the point, he said in his letter to to the Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians, that they gave well beyond their means. They begged him to be able to give more. Paul told them, y'all stop giving, you can't afford this. They said, no, Paul, we want to give more. Because we trust God more than what we have trusted him thus far. You see, if we ever say in our minds, that what I give, that's all I can afford to give, then our giving is honestly based upon our own plan and not God, faith in God. I mean, just, just break it down and think about it for a second. That's, that's all I can afford to give. That's me saying, I don't trust God enough if he's impressing on my heart to give more. I mean, I told you the story before about the guy who told the, the pastor, um, it was easier to give back when I didn't make as much as I do now. And the pastor said back to the guy, well, then I'll start praying that God lowers your salary (laughs) to get you back to a comfortable position of where you can give. You see, Paul said again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, giving. He calls giving an act of grace. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So what Paul is saying in those two verses there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he believes generosity is evidence of God's grace in your life. (laughs) You can try to eat your way around his wording, but it's literally, that is literally what he says in the original language. He calls it an act of grace. And I could take you to my office and show you book upon book of, of commentators who stumble over that. Paul calling giving an act of grace. He doesn't mince words. He just says what it is. That if there's anything we're withholding from the Lord, then we are not all in for Jesus. We don't really trust him. Not just finances, but our time or, or our job. Maybe God told you you need to change jobs. Maybe it, it's a, a relationship with a friend or with a family member that you haven't brought up Jesus to, and he's told you to, and you haven't done it. Maybe there's something you haven't given over to him, and it's time to go all in and give it. So, giving financially. Number seven, using spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation 
of the Spirit for the common good. Now, we did a, a spiritual gift series a few months ago, and if you weren't here, you forgot, then come and talk to me, and, and I'll watch them with you, because I need to rewatch it, because I need to, I'll take you through the notes, because I need it again. Uh, but spiritual gifts, God has given every single believer spiritual gifts to fulfill his purpose in their life, and your spiritual gifts are different than mine, because I'm not supposed to fulfill your purpose, and you're not supposed to fulfill mine. God put us all together with unique gifts to accomplish his purpose together. And so that's why we're all different and have these varieties of gifts. So we need to be using our spiritual gifts as he's put within us. That's a part of being all in for Jesus. Here is probably one that slips under the radar and is more difficult for some of us than others. Number eight, being an advocate for the work of God everywhere, even here. Being an advocate for the work of God everywhere, even here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Notice there that in that verse that the author of Hebrews does not say uh, specifically that the encouragement that's supposed to be offered, encourage one another daily, is only to be offered to someone's face. The encouragement can come in, in the form of how we speak of someone to others. And as such, if you look at that then, encourage one another daily, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. The hardening in the second half of the verse there has to do with the heart of the one who should be doing the encouraging. So if I'm not encouraging someone, it's my heart who's being hardened, not the person I'm supposed to be encouraging. My heart is being hardened because I'm not offering that encouragement. But notice also that word encouragement in that verse is an imperative. It's a command. Encourage one another daily. Not when you just you feel like it, not just when the other person is nice to you, not just when the other person encourages you first. It's an, it's, you do it even to the people you don't like. Encourage each other daily while it is still called today, which every day would be called today that you are in, in the moment. Encourage one another daily. And the truth of the matter is, if you think about it, whether the person deserves it or not, in truth, none of us deserve it. But Jesus still offered us mercy and grace and kindness and encouragement through his spirit all the time. And so we should, if we are going all in for Jesus, trying to be the same as Jesus followed Jesus, which is what Christian means, little Christ, a demonstration of Christ, an example of Christ, then we are supposed to do what he did. Offer the same level of grace and mercy and kindness and love without limitation, same level of encouragement without qualifier to anybody and everybody. Even the ones that are different, even in our own minds, where we, oftentimes we are very negative about certain kinds of people or certain persons or certain people who did certain things, that we kept that list in the back of our minds that we talked about a minute ago, and we don't offer that to them. We should be that to everyone, just as Jesus was. Because if we're following the example of Jesus, we're doing what Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And if this is a demonstration of our thought processes, then any negative thoughts about someone else cannot enter. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, if we're thinking on those things, then we can't be thinking on something else. We can't be thinking negatively about somebody else if we're thinking on those, if those things are our filter in how we think about other people, then we can't be thinking those thoughts. 
then we can't be thinking that way. Then we should be being an advocate for the Lord's work everywhere. Because the moment, that, like I, we talked about just a minute ago, that the enemy gets a foothold and we undercut another believer, we undercut a belie- an unbeliever's opportunity to listen to the gospel from the mouth of that person. And we have chosen the side of the enemy. Which that also means, I'm speaking from a position of a preacher, and preachers tend to undercut other preachers all the time. I've had to unfollow other preachers and uh, unsubscribe to preachers' channels on YouTube that I love. I mean, there's one guy that I just, I love. But he had a series of like four videos where he chewed apart a different preacher every video. I'm like, you're putting that out there. And now people who have gotten saved by those guys' ministry are absolutely going to doubt not just their salvation, but nobody's going to hear them if they listen to you first. And when we talk in that way about other Christians and unbelievers hear us or weak Christians hear us, we're undermining the work God can do in them through that opportunity. Because what's more important, my opinion or what God can do through somebody else? That's If we genuinely are really having trouble with this, which many of us do, me included. We have to rest in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Let Him do the work because He can work far more diligently and effectively than we can. Let Him take care of it. We need to forgive. We need to offer forgiveness. We need to offer kindness. We need to offer mercy. We need to offer grace so that we can be an advocate of the Lord's work everywhere even if we don't understand it, how the God's working in that way. Even if we don't, it doesn't make any sense to us, God may have not spoken that word to us for that very reason. We just need to be an advocate for God's work everywhere, even here. Now these last two, there's, these two last are kind of joined together. These last two are statistically the ones that most Christians in America do not do. Again, there was a study just a few years ago, about five years ago, 98% of Christians did not do these two things. 98% in the course of a year did not do these two things. Number nine, you need to be a gospel giver. Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth everywhere. You'll be my witnesses. You will tell people about me. You will give the gospel to anybody and everybody. Being a gospel, that's that's sharing the gospel. Telling people about Jesus. That, this right here, is why you're still on this earth. And I'll show you from scripture. The next slide. Luke 19.10. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his purpose. Son of Man, Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. In John chapter 20, Jesus tells his disciples, As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. So the purpose that Jesus had, seeking and saving the lost, he hands off to us, his followers. So Luke 19.10 has become our purpose. That's why we still are on this planet, to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. To seek and, and that ties right into number 10. Because you, you can't just, it, it's irresponsible 
to simply share the gospel with someone and leave them alone and not show them how they can grow, which is why number 10 is what it is. We need to be disciple makers. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The Great Commission is what these two verses are called. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he says, back in verse 19, make disciples. And then he tells how to make disciples in the rest of that verse and in verse 20. So you make disciples first by creating them. They get saved and they're baptized. And then by growing, you teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So you create disciples in telling them about Jesus. They get saved. And then you teach them how to grow so that they can grow, so they can go out and make more disciples. So this is the whole process here. Be a gospel giver, a disciple maker. Be a disciple maker. Make disciples. That's the reason you have the job you have. It's not to make money. It's to tell people about Jesus who are there. You want to be all in for Jesus. How many people at your job know about Jesus because of you? Not because you wore a Christian t-shirt one time. I know. That seems kind of harsh, but let's, let's be honest. How many people at your job are going to heaven because you're there? Jesus placed you there for that reason. How many people in your family are going to heaven because you're there? That's why he put you in that family. In your neighborhood, on your street. How many of your friends are better today in their relationship with Jesus because you're their friend? That's why he put you there. He gave you the kids you have so they can know about Jesus, so they can tell their kids about Jesus, so they can grow in Christ. It's all about Jesus, all of it. Every piece of it's about Jesus. That's why those, those, those disciples back in Acts chapter 2 were able to set aside all of their political differences, all of their opinions and all that other stuff about how they thought things should go, because it, for them, it was all about Jesus. Everything. It was, it was, we only have a limited amount of time here on this planet and we need to make the most of it and be all in for Jesus in everything. And that's what we're going to do as a church. We are going to be all in for Jesus in these ten areas. I'll put them up here so you can see them all. Or Tony will for me. Uh, on, one, on one slide. To be a believer, to be baptized, to be in a small group, to spend time with the Lord daily, to uh, attend church service, to give financially, to use your spiritual gifts, to be an advocate for the work of the Lord everywhere, even here, to be a gospel giver, to be a disciple maker. And now, as a church, okay, good, it worked. I'd never done it this way in our software before, so I'm glad it worked. Um, this is where we are going. This is what we are doing. This is what it means to be all in. Honestly, this is what it means to be an active member of the church, these 10 things. This is what it means to do these things, to live them out. That doesn't mean you're going to do them perfectly. You're not. You're not perfect. Remember, you're not to the full spiritual maturity of Jesus yet. But we should be making progress even if we don't attain perfection. You should be better tomorrow than you were today. Come January 3rd next year, you should be further along in your Christian process than you are on January 3rd of this year. This is where we are going. This is what we are pursuing. And this is... You know, as a church, why, for the next 21 days, I'm calling on the church to do a Daniel fast, which comes from Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel, the prophet, 
goes on a fast. He actually starts the fast on the third day of the month, which we are as well today. And the fast ends on the 24th day of the month, which we are going to be doing as well. And in Daniel chapter 10, it says that he withheld himself. He withheld from himself. Um, it says, literally, the, the words that are used in my translation, it says he, he took in no delicacies, um, no, uh, let's see, no delicacies, uh, no meat, and no alcohol for 21 days. Now, the word delicacies, some people interpreted that because it says delicacy to mean sugar, but literally in the original language, it means breads, breads. Uh, and so what we're doing for 21 days, a literal Daniel fast from Daniel chapter 10, uh, is what I'm calling on the church to do is no bread, no meat, no alcohol. And now, if you have health issues that you need some of that, talk to your doctor. Guys, don't be, you know, crazy. But as a church, this is what we're going to pursue. Some of you have been called. You've already told me this morning as I've talked to you. Some of you have been called by God to do even more than just that, just a straight liquid fast, no physical food. Some are doing a, a different kind of fast, social media or other things. But this, this is what I'm going to do. It's what I'm calling the church to do, Daniel fast, no bread, no meat, no alcohol, 21 days, 21 days. That means it ends on the 24th. That's a Sunday. And on the 24th, we're going to have the Lord's Supper that day. So the first, you know, bread thing we put in our mouth will be part of the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to have a lunch, a feast with lots of bread and lots of meat. And, uh, and we're going to have that there and celebrate together. And as God begins to reveal stuff to you over these next 21 days, I pray that you would send me an email, send me a message on social media so we can celebrate together what God is doing, or go on our website, or, or go back to any of our uh, 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 on-demand services or messages online. It's got a little button there that says, uh, tell me your story, and you can tell us what God's doing in you. At the end of 21 days for Daniel, an angel showed up and gave him a revelation. God may do that for you. I don't know. But I'm going to be your advocate, <laughs> whatever God reveals to you in that moment, if it's genuinely from the Lord, backed up by Scripture. So we're going to do this Daniel fast. We're going to have a four-week sermon series ending on the 24th, kind of diving into these, these, these ten areas and how strategically they can be fleshed out for our church um, as we go through this. Uh, but we have expectations in, in pursuing these ten areas for anybody who wants to go this route. Five expectations. We're going to, in your small group, be a part of a small group. If you're not in a small group, join one. We have a bunch that meet here. On Sunday mornings, you can join one that doesn't meet on Sunday morning. You can start your own small group, but be a part of a small group and emphasize these things. Emphasize being all in in those 10 areas there on a weekly basis. Find and implement a Bible reading plan for your small group that you can do together. We saw in Acts chapter 2, they read Scripture together. What my small group is doing is uh, last month we did the book of Mark, and now we're doing the book of Acts together. And uh, then we come together on Sunday morning, and that's our Sunday morning lesson, is we go through what the Lord has showed us through that scripture that week. And we talk through it, and if nobody talks, then I talk the most, uh, try to fill the time. Uh, but we, we digest what is the Lord showing you, then how can that encourage me, and what the Lord has shown me, how can that encourage you, and how can we be with each other together? And so implement, a, even if it's in addition to your small group lesson, just do scripture together. There's something special knowing that the eight of you, the five of you, the three of you, the ten of you, the fifteen of you are reading the same scripture every day. It's an encouragement. You can even go into the Bible app and share the reading plan with each other 
And you can actually see, it gives a little check mark when you can see somebody has done their reading for that day. And uh, my wife and I have done that. And I've done that with several church members. And it used to drive me nuts. I did that with some guys over the summer, last summer, when uh, one of the guys' check mark would go up while I was reading it. I would get frustrated because I wanted to beat him. But uh, and unbeknownst to me, having talked to him afterwards, that he was doing the same thing, trying to beat me <laughs> and getting the check mark first. But do Scripture together. And then number three, communicate daily with the members of your small group, daily, through messaging, calls, visits, meals, or through the Bible app uh, uh, feature that it has there with messaging through the uh, reading plans. I mean, I can only imagine what the first century church would have been like or what Paul would have been like had he had the opportunities we have with technology today. Uh, Communicate to each other. Now, these last two, you need to do these because I guarantee, this is a guarantee, if you pray these last two things, God will answer them. You may make you very uncomfortable. (laughs) It will probably make you very uncomfortable. But he will answer these prayers. Number four, pray for opportunities to tell people about Jesus and pray for someone to disciple. Maybe it's the person you just told about Jesus. But pray for those two things, and he will bring it to your mind. He will make you aware. He will show you and reveal to you those people. Pray for someone to tell about Jesus and pray for someone to disciple. And this is it, guys. This is our strategy for 2021. Somebody told me one time the Great Commission isn't enough of a strategy. It's enough of a strategy for Jesus. If we're telling people about Jesus, we don't got enough time to do anything else. If we're telling people about Jesus, the world's going to change. The queen's going to change. Our church is going to change. Arkansas is going to change. Culture is going to change if we're telling people about Jesus. And then when we walk into heaven, what are we going to hear? From the mouth of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. These are the ten things we're going to do. This is what we are going to pursue are these areas. You know what, Liam? That stick right back there, will you go grab it for me, please, and bring it to me? Yeah, go grab that. This is something I've had in my office for six years. A church member made this for me. Careful, don't stab somebody. Don't stab me. Thank you. This is a stick that they pulled off of their tree, and uh, it has a bunch of names of Jesus on it. And what I was thinking about the praying as we were singing earlier, and the Lord laid this on my heart. Um, My mom is a Texas history teacher, and there's lots of mythology and lots of things that go into that, but something that was baked into us from a very young age was this moment in the Alamo when they know that they're about to be surrounded and it's the last day that they have anybody to get out of the Alamo. And William Travis stands up and takes his sword and sticks it in the sand and draws a line, which is where that phrase comes from, line in the sand. And he says, if you want to leave, you can leave now. But if you're with me, I want you to come up here and cross this line and we're going to be here to the end. And so this is our line in the sand. And I, I, I purposely wanted to draw this line with a stick that had the names of Jesus on it. This is our line in the sand. These are our ten things. This is what we are pursuing in every opportunity, every avenue. We're walking this. This is our hill we are going to die on because it's all backed by Scripture. None of it's man-made, none of it's fabricated. It's straight from Scripture. And this is who we are as a church. So as our line in the sand, you can join us or not, but this is where we're going. This is why 2021 is going to be better than 2020. This is why 2021 is going to be better than 2011. 
Because God's got something for us this year that we weren't ready for then. And if we walk the path he has laid out in his word, everything will be different. Everything will be different. I mean, just imagine at the end of this 21 days, if every single person in this room, no matter the age, is fulfilling these 10 things, or at the very least telling people about Jesus, how will our community be different? Astronomically different if we begin this process. So I encourage you right now to think about this, to pray through this. Maybe today your lunch plans need to change because you need to start that Daniel fast right now. And you'd be thinking through, what is the Lord revealing? What is the Lord saying? How is the Lord guiding? What is he laying on my heart in these 10 areas? Where do I need to improve? Where do I need to grow? What are some things that I can begin to do? Don't try to bite off more than you can, you, you can chew. Start with small steps, but move towards his purpose. And we're going to do it together. And so if you need to believe in Jesus, that he is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. Now is your moment to believe, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. You can believe right now, and you can come to know Jesus. And you can begin this process of, of following him, fulfilling your purpose as a human being. But if you're in the room or you're watching online and you want to follow Jesus in these 10 areas, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to come up and cross this line and come and pray at the steps and say, Jesus, I need you now. Just as Dwight Moody said, by your spirit, I will be that person to be all in. I will do it. I need your spirit to accomplish it. I can't do it on my own. But if you want to, that's what I encourage you to do. And if you're watching online, I encourage you to click that button that says tell me or tell us your story, and you tell us that you're all in. And let's go together this process uh, of being all in for Jesus, being all in for his purpose, and, and being fully committed to what he has. No ifs, ands, or buts. No half-heartedness. But just stepping into it with everything we have and just seeing what he can accomplish through a willing people.